Welcome to the Coronation Merchant Bank podcast series, where we discuss economic, market, growth, and development trends, as well as relevant topical themes. My name is Chinwe Egwim, Chief Economist of Coronation Merchant Bank, and I will stir these conversations. Each episode promises to be interesting, and I am confident you will receive insightful nuggets from our discussions. Now let's get started. My guest today is a seasoned global market leader with a broad network and deep knowledge of African markets, James Madweke. James Madweke has a proven track record of building profitable and sustainable businesses in financial markets and has worked for top global financial institutions in developing, emerging, and frontier markets. Currently, James serves as the head of Treasury Client Solutions Business at Africa Finance Corporation a leading infrastructure solutions provider in Africa. He is at the forefront of positioning AFC as a solutions provider and mobilizing private capital for African development. At AFC, James leads the origination, structuring and execution of treasury transactions, asset hedging, balance sheet hedging and bespoke credit solutions such as swaps, repos, more across Africa. Thank you for joining me today, James. I look forward to our engaging conversation. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to to have this conversation with you. Okay, so let us get to it. The theme for this podcast is DFIs, Driving Growth and Development. And um, I guess the first question or discussion point I'm going to throw at you is this. Now, you work in the Treasury Department at AFC. For the benefit of our listeners, what role or contributions does the Treasury unit make to the development of infrastructure in Africa? Okay, thank you very much, Chingwe, for this question. Um, so I work with um, African Finance Corporation, and um, African Finance Corporation is a multilateral financial institution that was created by sovereign states in 2007 to provide um, pragmatic solution to African infrastructure deficits and in the world's challenging the operating environment. Since AFC was founded 16 years ago, we have invested in over $11.5 billion in 36 countries across African continent um, in a range of instruments and assets with the objective of bridging African infrastructure deficits and fostering the industrialization of um, African states. In regards to the role of Treasury in playing a crucial role in infrastructure development, there are several functions that um, the Treasury Department perform. So the first one is the funding department, which is very critical in terms of securing financing for infrastructure projects. Um, this particular department can raise capital through different channels, you know, bond insurances, loan from multilateral departments, um, essentially attracting private capital into Africa. We do this by leveraging our strong credit rating, uh, which is one of the highest credit rating in Africa, A3 rating by Moody's. You know, we've been able to execute um, a number of deals in the capital markets, uh, and I'll give a few examples. First is um, the $100 million loan 
that we raised from an Italian DFI to facilitate um, investment in renewable energy and the likes. Um, we've also been in the Asian capital market where we have successfully raised 160 million three-year kimchi term loan facility. Um, we have also raised um, 100 million loan facility with um, Korean development institution. And um, in the samurai uh, market where we've raised approximately $400 million. Um, in terms of um, other function within Treasury, we have um, the Treasury Client Solution Unit, uh, which is the unit that I run. And um, this unit is primarily responsible for, you know, the risking infrastructure projects in Africa, specifically uh, with reference to market risk. As you may know, infrastructure projects um, often involve significant financial risk, and the Treasury Department can help to manage this risk by employing various financial instruments such as derivative and insurance products. Um, in terms of the market risk that we focus on, uh, interest rate risk, FX, and commodity. Um, when we refer to interest rate risk, there are various derivatives instruments that we use to manage that risk, ranging from your vanilla interest rate swap to interest rate caps and um, interest rate color. And, um, and then with respect to um, FX, uh, we do that in a number of ways through cross-currency swaps and FX forwards. And of course, commodity is a major part of managing price movement in commodity price, specifically dated brands or ice brands is um, an asset class that we also hedge uh, using options and, and swaps as well. The other aspect the TCS business play role is in financing uh, or supporting sovereign institutions such, such as central banks um, to help them with liquidity management and um, reserve management. So AFC will deploy hard currency um, dollar to central banks against um, you know, collaterals in, in the form of um, repos or in the form of um, swaps, specifically total return swaps to help them manage their, uh, manage their reserves and help them stimulate their, their economy. Uh, we've successfully been able to deploy capital to a number of central banks in the region and also been able to distribute those risks to investors and banks that are looking to access um, sovereign risk. And I guess the last function uh, within Treasury is, is um, the asset and liability desk, which primarily deals with um, liquidity management um, and ensuring that the corporation stays um, very liquid and also ensures that um, the corporation meets its mandates in terms of um, um, financing um, the infrastructure pipeline project that we have. So I would say that, yeah, you know, there are three key functions, um, the financing, the client solution business, and asset and liability desk. Thank you. Okay, thank you so much for that robust response. Now, you know, we have seen the macroeconomic trends of elevated inflation and um, monetary policy tightening since 2021. Um, countries in sub-Saharan Africa have been significantly hit by this shift in global monetary policy. These countries have been effectively priced out of the international bond market. For example, uh, Ghana just concluded a domestic 
debt exchange program and is currently in discussions with external creditors to restructure their external debt, including um, eurobonds. What are some of the major concerns around eurobond issuances by African countries? And then do you think that there are African countries with the potential to leverage eurobond issuances to finance sustainable infrastructure projects this year, and even, let's say, the first half of next year? All right. Okay. Thanks um, for that question. It's been a very challenging market in the last two to three years, um, starting with um, the COVID-19 pandemic. We witnessed very challenging um, debt capital markets um, across emerging economies. A lot of these challenges were characterized by you know, multiple shocks and the rising inflation um, following the aftermath of COVID-19 pandemic. And furthermore, you know, the geopolitical risk from the conflict between Russia and Ukraine has also caused surge in commodity pricing, which has compounded the issue. Now, all these macro shocks um, have impacted the debt capital market. Um, rates have gone up, you know, there's been you know, rate hike at least um, nine to 10 times um, since uh, March last year when Fed, the global central banks that are rising, uh, hiking interest rates. So what are, that has drastically impacted the number of issuance um, in emerging markets. Um, if you take um, institutions such, such as us, you know, in the last 14, 15 years, you know, we have typically tapped the bond market to raise financing. Um, 2022 was um, the first time that we didn't go into the market because of where the price of issuance we are coming out at, you know. So I think um, this challenge underscored the need for multilateral institutions to obviously find innovative ways of mobilizing private capital into Africa to uh, meet Africans' um, infrastructure needs. I think the major um, concerns we have about around Eurobond issuance is um, the risk premium that um, the investors have attached to Africa and um, significant risk premium that has made it um, quite unattractive to issue bonds. And a lot of that was, is also driven by the macro environment on the back of recent downgrades across the region. So we've seen Nigeria downgraded by um, twice by the rating agencies. We've seen Egypt downgraded Ghana. Obviously, the, the situation in Ghana with um, the defaults uh, in, in their debts, Eurobonds, and Zambia as well, that have been defaulted. So the, there's a lot of um, headwinds across the, the continent, and the investors are pricing significant risk premium to mitigate this risk. So um, other concerns around issuing uh, Eurobonds in the African continent is the lack of liquidity in the yield curve. Um, especially when you are looking to raise a longer duration um, and debt. Uh, you know, as you know, um, infrastructure finance in Africa is a long term, you know, in nature. So you have to be able to raise, you know, five to 10 year bonds. And um, the lack of curve and price discovery has um, made it quite difficult to, to raise um, funding. But um, having said that, this is the new norm. You know, we're at you know all time or near. You know, rates have gone up significantly, and we feel that we are on the tail end of you know rates hike. 
So a number of DFIs are beginning to assess the markets and um, look for opportunistic ways to um, tap the markets. So for us at AFC as well, we are doing the same. You know, bond insurance is uh, one of the um, uh, largest source of capital. Can raise typically between 500 to $1 billion. So it is a significant part of our funding strategy and, um, uh, and most DFIs as well. So I suppose the approach is to accept the new reality of where rates are and try and enter the market when market is fairly stable um, at reissue. So that's the approach we are, we are taking, um, uh, assessing the market and, um, and waiting for the right time to, to strike. In addition to that as well is, you know, looking at other markets as well. Like I said, we've done Samurai, we've done Kipshi market. Um, there are other geographies as well where um, if we feel that we can tap um, investors or if we see other markets where there's strong um, investors' appetite, we'll be able to tap into those markets as well. Okay, that's interesting. Some level of normalization. And I also like that you touch upon um, diversifying from your vantage point. Um, I have a follow-up question. What is the likelihood of Nigeria facing a similar situation with Ghana with respect to its domestic and external debt? What, what are your thoughts? Okay, that's an interesting question. Uh, first, uh, Nigeria is the largest economy in the continent. And um, even when we compare debt to GDP ratio, GDP ratio, um, Nigeria is currently at um, 38% as of um, uh, January this year, um, against the benchmark of 70% for emerging markets. And when you compare that 38% to Ghana, Ghana is at 93%. So um, Nigeria still has a diversified economy. Um, our inflation is at 21%. Um, compared, Nigerian inflation is at 21.9% compared to Ghana's um, 52.8, uh, which is um, significantly higher. So, and um, Nigeria still have access to markets. Um, you know, still has access to the international community. So, I, I think the likelihood is very slim. Uh, given how diverse our economy is, and you know, contributor to the GDP. You know, I strongly believe that um, the likelihood of Nigeria facing the same issue Ghana is facing is low. But having said that, um, there are a few things that um, Nigeria needs to work on um, to make us more credit worthy and, and to deepen our access to the global markets. Um, in terms of our physical and debt management policy, we need to maintain strong uh, physical discipline. We need the country to be, you know, politically stable. Um, issues around oil subsidy removal and harmonization of um, FX are some of the key issues that um, um, Nigeria needs to deal with um, to ensure that um, they maintain access to, to the international market and stimulate economic growth. Hmm. Thank you so much for that. Your, your response is encouraging and it's actually, um, it, it aligns with my view. Um, I also agree that Nigeria has vast room for improvement with regards to, you know, strengthening creditworthiness and of course, fiscal discipline has to remain on the front burner. Um, 
According to the World Bank, Nigeria would need to invest about 2.3 trillion US dollars over 30 years to bridge its infrastructure gap. Now, given the growing global interest in sustainable infrastructure, how can development finance institutions support the development of sustainable infrastructure in Nigeria, especially in areas such as technology, uh, transportation, and energy? Thanks for the question. Uh, this is essentially why um, DFIs like AFC was created um, to bridge the infrastructure gap in Africa. So based on recent estimates by African Development Bank, they suggested that the infrastructure needs in the continent is around about 170 billion a year. Uh, with the financing gap being in the region of um, 100, 105 billion, um, that's every year. So that's a huge um, gap. And during my introduction, I mentioned that AFC have deployed 10 billion, uh, 11.5 billion. So that's a drop in the ocean. Um, You know, it shows that our work is still cut out for us. You know, so there's a huge um, financing gap. And um, Africa needs to develop. And for Africa to develop, um, they have to industrialize um, to end poverty and to create employment for the 12 million young population who join the um, labor force every year. So um, industrialization is very key to African development. Um, Localizing, localization is also very key building infrastructures that allows us to um, support our supply chain, that allows us to um, produce our raw materials and use our raw materials to provide other intermediaries um, is very key. Um, So in terms of AFC's approach to reaching this gap, we leverage from our strong credit rating to mobilize as much capital from a broad range of geography to attract capital into Africa. We also um, believe that um, what Africa needs is not just aids or grants, but they also need the funding from the international community. They need insurance products um, uh, or support that would help the risk um, African infrastructure project, which would then attract more investors to come in. Um, specifically to the sectors that you mentioned, technology and you know digital transformation is key um, across the continent. Um, uh, by 2025, the internet economy has the potential to contribute over 180 billion to African economies, growing up to 712 billion by 2050. So that's a significant key driver to economic growth. And other sectors like transportation um, is going to be key. You know, the ease of doing business, the ease of moving from point A to B, um, you know, the ease of moving goods from from one point to another. I mean, it's going to play a crucial role. And these are the areas that um, we also focus in terms of investment, bridges, seaports, uh, and the likes. So those areas are going to play a critical role in driving the uh, growth in African economy. And obviously, energy is very important. AFC is playing a critical role in power, renewable energy, and uh, and climate. And um, recently, we launched launched a 2 billion infrastructure client resilient funds, 
which has a, a mission to incorporate climate risk in physical infrastructure across the continent. We are one of the owners of um, the largest renewable energy, uh, Lakila, which was done early this year. So um, generally, there's, you know, across um, other DFIs, there's a strong push to raise long-term financing and, you know, focus on transportation, technology, energy, as well as healthcare as well, in order to drive um, economic growth in Africa. Okay, thanks for that. Wow. A financing gap slightly over $100 billion per annum. That is incredibly huge. And I hope the momentum to bridge the gap remains and that we continue to see well-targeted sustainable investments because the positive ripple effect on the macroeconomic environments cannot be overemphasized. Um, some that come to mind now are healthier GDP growth, trimming of the unemployment rate, a boost to purchasing power, and of course, by extension, stronger demand. Okay, let me shift to the next discussion point. Um, there are several DFI initiatives currently aimed at putting financial inclusion for SMEs um, in the country and in Africa as a whole. But access to finance seems to continuously feature as a major challenge for SMEs. James, what role can DFIs play in supporting financial inclusion in Nigeria, especially for underserved and marginalized communities? And then what impact could this have on economic growth and development? Yeah, thanks again. This is um, a very good question uh, because the SMEs are the engine of any economy. Uh, that's where you usually have the um, largest um, area of employment or potential for employment. So DFI can play a critical role in supporting financial inclusion in Nigeria for um, underserved and marginalized com community. And there are various um, strategies and initiatives that can um, help contribute to this um, financial in inclusion um, and driving economic growth and development. And one of them is um, access to finance, or, or rather, shall I say, increased access to finance, because um, that's usually the challenge for a lot of DFIs, they typically don't have collateral and, uh, and they are shut out from the mainstream um, banks uh, due to the risky nature of that business. So development financial institutions can come in and provide um, direct financing um, uh, to them, uh, especially the underserved area. And also they can um, offer tailored uh, financial products you know, such as, you know, loans, grants, equity investments, and guarantees that will, um, that will specifically meet the unique needs of um, SMEs. Um, the other area that DFRs can play is, you know, capacity building. A lot of this, um, the SMEs, they need um, skill acquisition. Um, they need technical assistance um, to help them, you know, improve their financial knowledge, as well as improve their financial practices and build the right behavior, drive, uh, build the right behavior. They need um, education in terms of business or um, um, operation, uh, you know, and uh, a mentoring. So DFIs, DFIs can, you know, play um, a critical role in, you know, helping them enhance their skills and capability along those lines. 
And obviously, the biggest challenge is infrastructure development or the infrastructure around them, access to electricity, access to network, you know, access to um, business incubators and the like. So, which is part of um, what we said in terms of addressing these needs, you know, DFIs are playing critical roles in, you know, building roads and enabling the ease of doing business uh, for, for, for the SMEs. And, um, and I guess the, the last part um, that I want to touch before I, I go to the impact is more around um, risk mitigation, basically the risking, putting a DFI wrap or, you know, around the financings that, that um, SMEs uh, receive in order to enable them access a whole range of um, financing. So the use of guarantees will, you know, make it more attractive for for lenders to provide capital to DFI. And, um, and the impact of SMEs, like I said, um, economic growth and job creation. Poverty is still a challenge in Africa. And um, you know, they're all linked economic growth and job creation and poverty alleviation uh, will help lift um, people out of poverty and um, and empower them to start and grow their own businesses, you know. And like I said, the largest pool of um, labor, human capital is on the SMEs um, segment of the economy. So targeting underserved and marginalized community, in, in targeting those communities, DFI can contribute in, you know, reducing income in, um, inequality and promoting inclusive development. Um, and then the other aspect is the fact that we're young, um, Africa has a young population, um, young enterprise population. So the role of entrepreneurship and innovation definitely would play a key role, um, you know, in transforming the lives of you know, young Africans and giving them access to funding to build um, their businesses. So DFI can support SMEs in you know, emerging sectors like technologies and um, renewable energy um, sector, uh, which has the potential to drive economic transformation and produce real impact. You know, so those are the, um, the key impact that I see. So essentially, DFI can play a vital role in promoting financial inclusions in SMEs in Nigeria, you know, increasing access to financing, providing sort of capacity building, thought leadership uh, for SMEs to upskill their knowledge around financial management, um, business operation and the likes, you know, investing in infrastructure and mitigating risk. And DFI can also contribute to economic growth, um, poverty reduction, entrepreneurship, and uh, regional developments. So I think these things will foster more inclusive, more sustainable um, economy in Africa. Thank you. Hmm. Very good response. Yes, capacity building is incredibly important. You know, the brain drain or brain shift towards the knowledge economy also requires um, SMEs to step up so that they can remain significant contributors to economic growth. I also like your contributions around risk mitigation because high risk associated with funding SMEs is a major roadblock for accessing finance. So when you speak with um, a lot of um, uh, SME owners, they do mention that they hear about the high risk associated with funding them. And yes, with regards to your response on impact, I agree. Um, leveraging the youth population is key to unlocking a lot of economic 
benefits for Nigeria. I also like what you said around strengthening just the social capital or uh, socioeconomic impact um, of, of Nigeria through, through these um, contributions. So I'm going to my last question. Um, what role can DFIs play in promoting regional integration and trade in Sub-Saharan Africa, especially in the context of the Africa Continental Free Trade Area? Thanks um, for, for the question. Um, a lot. Um, DFIs can, can play a key role in terms of um, integration and trade. Like I, may, I mentioned earlier on, you know, the ease of doing business, the ease of moving goods um, from point A to B, or even traveling from one African country to the other, you know, still presents a huge challenge for businesses. Uh, we have all experienced it, you know, you know, traveling from, say, Nigeria to um, a place like Tanzania. It might be easier for someone in Europe to get to Tanzania before you get there because there are no direct flights. You know, so the ease of moving around, um, the ease of doing business, that's what um, the African continental field trade area, you know, um, um, tries to address. And um, DFI can support um, the regional integration in a number of ways. Obviously, investing in regional infrastructure, like the key sectors that we've mentioned, transportation, very key to improve the ease of movement, energy to drive um, our power business, and telecommunication you know, can you know, help reduce the cost of doing business and, you know, and promote trade within the region. You know, removing the barriers, you know, cross-border barriers, you know, um, DFIs can also help in terms of supporting SMEs, like I've mentioned, to help them get through the challenges they have around um, access to finance. But more importantly is DFI role in supporting reforms, uh, because our challenge with the um, African continental field trade area is um, around implementation. You know, and um, the DFI can play a key role with working with governments to help with the implementation, to bring it to fruition. You know, and um, I think lastly would be um, promoting a regional value chain. Um, I did mention that um, if we can solve the issue of transportation and if we can begin to localize, you know, begin to manufacture within the continent, um, that would have a positive impact on the economy because it means that we don't have to import from China or from uh, far and wide. We can produce and consume uh, what we make. So um, DFIs can play a role in that regional integration and um, ensuring that the value chain is not disrupted. Well, thank you so much for that. So ease of movement and, um, of course, ease of doing business can be addressed through DFI investments. Of course, better transport corridors will definitely contribute to boosting export activities. And I think to a large extent, it, it would allow some countries shift from heavy imports dependence. And yes, I do agree with you um, with regards to what you said on implementation. So effective implementation is essential. This is something I repeat continuously. Um, we can read about laudable plans on paper, but sustainable impact can only be recorded if 
implementation actually does take place. So that was um, um, very important. Thank you for sharing that with us. So thank you so much for sharing from your extensive bank of knowledge. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, James. Thank you very much, Chingwe, for having me. It's been a pleasure having this discussion with you. Thank you for listening. Be sure to look out for the next episode. In the meantime, reflect on the insightful nuggets you received. You can listen by visiting www.coronationmb.com or on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, Spreaker, and Player FM. Thank you.